Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gary Wilkerson podcast. Uh, this is a special episode. Normally, we uh, produce and uh, publish these on Thursdays. You might get them in some form of social media on Thursdays. This is a special episode that we're doing in wake of all that's been happening. You know, there's been the uh, it's been months and months now that we've been in uh, very uh, trying times, and we're probably almost all tired of hearing that. Uh, I know for myself at uh, home, if I'm watching TV, I get so tired of these commercials that say, you know, the same things like, uh, uh, we know these are difficult times, but this soap will help you. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of that. Um, you know, just, I, I just want to, kind of want to move on. And I thought we were getting ready to move on. Things were opening back up uh, around the around the country. Uh, various governors of states were opening things back up. And then all of a sudden, um, uh, another crisis hits our, our nation. To me, this is, is it's, it's, it's uh, shocking, it's saddening, it's, it's uh, disheartening, it's uh, uh, emotionally difficult for any of us to, to face. I think sort of when you double it up, tag team from one event to the other happening back to back, it just makes it even that much more sobering. It's sobering but not surprising. Uh, I have shared this with you before on the podcast and my pulpit ministry that uh, Jesus predicted that in the last days it would be like a woman in childbirth at the pangs. Uh, and, and, and you know if you've had a, a child that uh, the intensity of a woman in childbirth gets more and more uh, intense and more and more frequent, the, uh, the contractions that they're having. And we're seeing the intensity increase. I doubt there's ever been. Uh, maybe since the 19, late 1960s um, in the Vietnam uh, protests. There's probably never been a nationwide protest like this, nor and even worldwide now, and neither has there been a, a nationwide pandemic um, in, in, in generations uh, like, like this. So uh, these are things that Jesus predicted, but he also uh, gave us some insight into how we should live, how we should love, how we should work, and how we should continue to promote uh, and prevail as people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I, I think uh, I think of Paul when he was um, having uh, an experience of his own riots in the city of Ephesus, and instead of running from the riot, he wanted to go in the middle of it. I'm not giving any kind of uh, uh, advice here on what to do if you're in a city that has these things going on, but but Paul wanted to go in not not as a politician or not as an advocate for a particular issue, but as a preacher of the gospel. He wanted to go in the middle of the riot and, and tell people how much Jesus loved them and how Jesus could change their life. And that's what that's what I want to do. And that's the, what the guest I have online here today. Uh, I've known him for many, many years, and he is a strong advocate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He understands that lives and communities, families, even cities are greatly touched and transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have with us Ron Brown. Ron is the executive director of Southern California Teen Challenge. Uh, my father, David Wilkerson started Teen Challenge back in 1960 after moving there in 1958 to work with gang members like Nikki Cruz and others. And um, then Teen Challenge expanded when uh, I think Los Angeles was one of the, fir one of the first few uh, centers around the world. And uh, there are some great centers that are helping those who are uh, addicted, uh, uh, life-controlling problems, helping many set free. It's one of the. It's one of. It's not one of. It is the known as the most successful uh, addiction uh, crisis center and recovery center in the world, and they're doing a great job. And I am particularly fond not only of Southern California Teen Challenge because of their 
the purity of their message and the power of the gospel and the prayer life that they have, that they're really trusting in Jesus, but also of its director, uh, Ron Brown. And we're happy to have him with us today as we talk about uh, some of the things that are happening. He's in Los Angeles area, some of the things happening in New York and Los Angeles and all around the country. Ron, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for taking the time. I know this was last minute. We just called you, I think it was the day before yesterday, and said, can you be on? Thank, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Gary, for inviting me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, love you and Kelly and, and the work that you do at World Challenge so very much. Um, and it's a great honor just to be able to, to share with you on this program today. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, Ron, thank you. I, I wish we could be face-to-face here. You can't see me because you're you're just on audio, but I'm in the video studio here and have a, a nice picture of you. So even though I don't get to see you face-to-face, it's nice to see you on the screen here. You're look, looking good, by the way, man. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad the picture turned out okay. <laughs> it did. It did. You do good. You're photogenic. Uh, most of the publicity photos that I put out with me, uh, I'm always like, my goodness, I look like the Pillsbury Doughboy or, uh, you know, just something with uh, uh, Albert Einstein with wild hair sticking up everywhere. So, so you look very handsome and distinguished. And, uh, uh, But again, seriously, we're happy to have you with us today. Uh, you know, you, you've worked in urban areas uh, and in troubled areas around the world, Africa, uh, Romania, right after the uh, Ceausescu fell there. So you, you're, no, you're no stranger to crisis by any means, the, the drug addiction crisis, the urban, um, uh, the difficulties in race and urban uh, problems um, in poverty. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit, Ron, uh, just to kind of introduce your, I wanna talk about you personally in a minute, but just right now, your ministry. Could you tell us a little bit more about the calling of God on your life and what you're doing and a little bit about Southern California Teen Challenge? Yeah, thank you so much, Gary. Here at Teen Challenge Southern California, we have uh, eight different centers um, in 10 different locations. Uh, And it's amazing to see the lives that are being transformed by the power of the gospel on a daily basis. We have centers for men and for women who have been addicted to drugs Uh, It's a year-long, very structured uh, residential discipleship ministry because we know that the answer to people being delivered from drugs is the power of the gospel. Uh, And that's what we teach, that's what we believe, and that's what we practice. And for more than 57 years, we've seen miracles of families and individuals restored by the power of God's grace. We also have prevention programs for adolescents who are at risk of being involved in gangs, uh, and so we've been able to prevent many young lives from being destroyed and going down that slippery slope of addiction right. uh, as they have come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ at a young age. Um, and around the world, I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel in about 70 countries now um, and pastors conferences, encouraging pastors around the world, uh, as well as speaking at teen challenge conferences uh, in Europe and, and Africa and, and different places. And it's just been amazing to see the miracle of what God has done with Teen Challenge from its beginning to now being in 130 plus nations of the world. Um, and the, and the, that vision continues to march on around the world. So. That's right. And <clears throat> the Teen Challenge overall is probably helping. I, I, I tried to do a little math one time, and I, I think if I'm not far off here, at any given time, there can be t- between 10 and 20,000 uh, people that are um, residentially involved in 
in in the ministry like this, uh, and that's you know that's going every year after year. You're probably talking about hundreds of thousands of people that have been set free from life controlling problems and addictions. So uh, it's pretty pretty amazing, and I'm I'm grateful to you to your persistence and consistency of of not only preaching the gospel but the discipleship that's involved with that. You're also uh, <clears throat> uh, you know we're going to talk in just a little bit about what's happening uh, in our cities with the riots and uh, some of the racial issues. Uh, uh, the desire for the gospel, desire for reconciliation. Uh, but before we do that, just tell us a little bit about your. Uh, you told me about your childhood uh, and your family background before your parents, grandparents. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the environment you were brought up in. Yes, I was raised in the South. Uh, I'm a son of the South. I was raised in the Panhandle of Florida, right uh, near Georgia and Alabama. Um, my grandparents and my parents were sharecroppers. Um, we worked out in the field, picking cotton, loading watermelons, pulling weeds out of the peanut patch and the cornfields. And, uh, and so we grew up very, very poor um, in a very segregated world. Uh, so I'm a child of the 60s and 70s. Uh, there were riots uh, that I'm that when I'm looking at what is happening now, uh, it, it's, it's amazing and astounding to me how much it looks like what was happening in the 60s and 70s as I was growing up. Um, the, the Jim Crow laws were part of the South. Um, and so uh, as an African-American, uh, it was very difficult uh, to, to be able to transition to the broader culture. Our schools were segregated. Um, we were forced into integration. There was forced busing um, in, the, in the 70s. And so they closed all of the schools that I was accustomed to, and they bust us across to um, the majority schools that were much better situated. They were much better buildings, and and um, and so we were forced into um, the integration uh, in order for the uh, have equal opportunity for people of color to get a good education. Um, uh, my father was a, a man of prayer, loved the Lord with all of his heart. Uh, I have six brothers and sisters, so we were taught uh, to love God and to love people in the midst of a very difficult, difficult world. And that is what has been the foundation uh, of my life, is loving Jesus and loving others. And who is my neighbor? My neighbor is every other person on the planet. Mm. Um, it was difficult. When the schools were first integrated, there were a lot of riots um, people did not want the schools to be integrated in my area. I believe we were one of the last counties uh, in our state to, um, to integrate uh, because there was such stiff resistance um, against it in our area because of uh, the racism and, and, um, and the Jim Crow laws and discrimination and the races not mixing and, and all of that. And so when we came together, uh, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of anger, a lot of hard feelings, uh, and we had race riots at our school almost daily. Um, it, people just running up and down the halls, you know, hitting people because they were of a different race. Um, and I'm I'm looking at this in the midst of my training and my understanding from my father about loving everyone and hearing all of the derogatory names that were called. And uh, it was a very, very difficult 
uh, childhood uh, growing up in the segregated South. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, I, I can't even begin to imagine what it was like. Uh, I do remember, you know, we're we're uh, we're similar age. I think I'm a little bit older than you, but uh, I remember those early '70s where, you know, for the first time. Uh, you know, I grew up in New York, so uh, those, those, that was an integrated neighborhood and integrated schools. And then I moved to Texas, where it was not, and then uh, was like you at the beginning of the integration of those schools. And and it was it was a troubling time, and it, and it, for me it was a little unexpected because you know you grew up in it. I I kind of obviously there was racism in New York City as as a child. I saw that too, uh, but maybe in a different degree because of uh, the multiculturalness of, of the city. And then moving down the south. Uh, you know, it was. I was just shocked to see, like, why, why are these people, you know, so, so segregated? First of all, and why are they having trouble getting together? Uh, but yeah, it was. It was a pretty chaotic time. Um, jumping way ahead, and thanks for sharing your your your, your past with us. Jumping ahead to the current situation, um, or not 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 even today, but just over, let's say over the last, you know. Decade, you know, we're talking about the '70s, but here we are in, you know, 2010 to 2020. Would you say you're still uh, affected by this? Do you do you see things in your own life, your own family, that uh, you've had to deal with, or is it just more random, kind of out there, like happens in Minneapolis occasionally, in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, or these? Is this something uh, fairly prevalent in the African American culture? It is. It's systemic. It's everywhere, Gary. Mm. Um, you know. I just mentioned the 60s and 70s, my growing up uh, years. Um, I spent 10 years in the military. I was also in law enforcement for five years uh, before uh, becoming an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and I experienced racism in every place that I've worked <laughs> wow. uh, and just in life in general. Um, uh, I've gotten pulled over by the police just for no reason other than I was in a neighborhood that I, they didn't think I should be in. Uh, was asked why I was there, and I had to explain I'm visiting a friend. Um, those That's just the reality of growing up in America. Um, I did my best to raise my children in a, in a very multicultural setting. Uh, we've gone to churches that have been integrated uh, since they were born. Uh, but then when they went to school, they started experiencing racism, and they came back, and I had to give them answers. They was like, well, why are people treating us different? You've always taught us to love everybody and that God sees everyone equal and we're all the same. But then when I'm around people at school, they, you know, they're calling me names and, and they're saying that I'm ugly and, and they're excluding me. Why are they doing this? Just because of the way I look. Um, it is part of the world that we live in, Gary. Um, so I experience racism on a regular basis. Um, even now, you know, 60 plus years old now, um, I can go shopping at a store. Security guards will follow me just because. And I say, hey, look, I'm not stealing anything. I'm just shopping. Uh, wow. So these things are very, very real to me, Gary. This is the this is the life of being black in America. <clears throat> you know what convicts me, Ron, as I hear you say this, is I've known you probably, have we known each other almost 20 years now? Probably getting close to that. Uh, and I don't think, time, yeah. yeah, and I don't think we've had... I don't think I've asked you these questions before. You know, I've asked you a lot about uh, teen challenge and addictions, and and then of course I knew about your childhood and stuff. So it, it kind of convicts me that that uh, you know this is a conversation that maybe we in the church don't don't have as much as we should have. And and I'd like to learn more about this. That's why you know I'd like to learn learn from you today and our our, our audience to to learn from you today as well. And and man, I, the, your perspective. Uh, 
you have something to say, I think probably very few people in the country have to say, uh, being that you're on the front lines of helping people in crisis. Uh, you're, you're in urban areas in Southern California and you work in urban areas around the world. Uh, you were a policeman as well, which probably gives you a little bit of a different perspective, um, you know, because it, it seems sometimes that, you know, that it's, uh, if I'm not wrong, it seems like there's some, some, some division between what's happening in the streets and what's happening in the police force and stuff. So you, you were kind of on both sides. Does, do you feel like that's, do you, does that bring you a different perspective on what's happening right now? Well, I certainly can understand that, you know, looting and, and, and those kind of burning buildings, that is not the way to get to workable solutions uh, at all in our world. Um, and as a, I, I love being a law enforcement officer, I believed in the protect and serve. That's why I did it was to protect and serve and for no other reason and uh, love the community that I was a part of. Uh, but even from that perspective, you could still see behind the scenes it's kind of part of there are certain code words that people would use, um, uh, really viewing um, people who commit a crime uh, as as other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it gave the right for the for a particular attitude to be developed. Um, they were not considered citizens. Sometimes they would say, OK, this person is a citizen if a, a person had not oh. committed a crime. But if someone committed a crime, I guess they were given a different name. They were not considered citizen. In my mind, everybody was citizen. And so that was something that I really spoke up for um, and insisted that we treat everyone equal as a citizen because I knew where I came from. I knew where I grew up. I knew what I had to endure as a child. And see, those things, they really forge and form um, uh, who you are at the core of your being. And uh, so that was a compass that was in me, not only from where I was born, but also my faith. Um, and the love that I have for God, the love that I learned uh, from my father uh, that really gave me a, a real compass, a moral compass in how to treat other people, to love God and to love my neighbor as myself. Wow. But there is an attitude that can develop, um, you know, when you're in that fraternity uh, where you, you kind of put yourself in a different kind of category. And it's unfortunate, but it's kind of part of human nature. Um, that when people get into a a particular community, that you adopt the norms and values of that community, and you don't even realize that it's affecting you Mm. or changing you uh, until you look back. Uh, But it's just kind of the way things happen when people uh, commune together um, and and really partake of each other's lives. Um, But I was only in it for five years, so I wasn't in it long, and then the Lord called me into full-time ministry. uh, and I've experienced uh, racism uh, in the in 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 ministry in the church. Yeah. So it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it's not something that I get up on a soapbox and talk about all the time. It's something that I have conversations at home with my wife and and with my kids and and my eight grandkids. Yeah. Uh, but it's not something that I talk about a lot uh, publicly. Not that I'm trying to be silent. But I'm always trying to point people to Jesus and point people to the cross. And I'm dealing with the crisis of people who are dying of drug overdose uh, in waves. Uh, and that consumes uh, my, my, my heart. Mm-hmm. But this, what I saw happen the other day, just really opened up and tore back a lot of wounds mm. that has brought a thing. How did you feel when you heard about this happening? 
Gary, when I saw that video, my wife and I just sat and held each other and cried. Mm. That's all I could do is I could just cry. Um, because I thought, you know, that could have been me. <laughs> um, knowing and experiencing all that I have all my life, um, just being in this black skin, um, I understand um, the pain that the family uh, is, is experiencing now um, to a little degree because I haven't lost anyone like that, but the life that they must have had to live and have been living up to now, I fully relate to because it is my life. Um, I remember, I'll digress just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I walked home from school and I walked through the wrong neighborhood because we lived on the other side of the tracks. And uh, this person came up on the sidewalk in their car and, and tried to run me down. Mm. And I had to dive into the hedges of a woman's house in order to stop being hit. And basically yell out the window. It's like, you know, N word, <laughs> you're not supposed to be in this neighborhood. Why are you walking through here? I was just walking on the sidewalk to go home. Um, and so just by looking at me on the outside, this person had made all kinds of opinions about who I was as a person. Right. They didn't know that I loved God. They didn't know that, you know, I, I just want to live a life of, of, of dignity and purpose like everyone else. I'm, I'm not seeking to do anything. I, uh, I wasn't being furtive, looking in people's windows to break in their house. I was just walking down the sidewalk wow. to go home. <laughs> so and it was sorry. a little shortcut to get to the other side of the tracks. Yeah. But that's Mm-mm. just, you know, that's just kind of what happens in our society, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your take on then uh, your perspective as, as a man of God, as an African-American, as a, as a leader in ministry, when you see the, the protests? And, and, of course, there's a difference between the protest and the rioting. But, but what was your take maybe on, on the – first of all, I'd like to ask you about the, the, um, the, the, the more positive, peaceful protests. What, what was your take on that? Did you feel supportive of that, encouraged by that? Well, absolutely. I think it's necessary for people to speak up. And again, I have not been silent about the racism that no, I experienced. Right. I've just channeled it in a different way. I've, like I said, I've, I've worked to to bring healing and reconciliation between cultures, um, and so I've used that as a forum uh, to be able to speak to people, um, sharing some of my story from yeah. time to time. And even sorry, uh, and sorry to interrupt you on the run, but even the Teen Challenge itself, your your residential programs, it, it's it's uh, extremely diverse. You would have uh, black and white and Hispanic and Asian. That's is it, that that's a that in itself is a a, a real uh, testimony, isn't it, to, to your willingness to see the gospel being something that breaks down these walls. Um, I'm right in saying that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the only thing that can break down those walls, Gary. I love all people from all places and all cultures and all tribes and all tongues and all languages. And, and that's how I comport myself. I, I just love God and I love people. Um, I recognize that there are different things that people experience in their lives. Um, and I try to be sensitive to that and speak into that uh, truthfully uh, with the word of God. Uh, and to steer people toward the cross and, and toward 
the reconciliation that God wants to bring between them and himself. Uh, and then out of that will flow healthy relationships uh, with your fellow man. Uh, and so that is really how I have comported myself and lived out my ministry. Yeah, well done. I'm so I'm so thankful. And I see that in, in your life and in your family. Um, there, there's, a, there's a pursuit of truth and righteousness and justice, uh, but there's also a pursuit of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And that's, as you said just a moment ago, that's what, you know, Christ has to offer maybe that the world might be missing is is how how do you really you know for me i know the 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 weightiness of christ's forgiveness of me uh, merits me forgiving anyone else who may have harmed me uh, not not nearly as deeply as as i have harmed christ uh, nobody has done anything to me that puts me on a cross but what i've done has put jesus on the cross and so uh, you know, it, I, I always think in terms of forgiveness, not emotionally, uh, but I think in, in terms of forgiveness in terms of, of the cross. And uh, there, there's great power, uh, you know, in, in the cross of Jesus Christ that, that uh, can help us. You know, and I think sometimes we think that certain areas, uh, okay, that, you know, your church, you guys speak about your church stuff over there. That's fine. You can talk about uh, forgiveness and kindness and love and mercy. But, you know, these don't really speak to the real issues. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth that— uh, uh, when we do center on preaching the gospel, when we do focus on praying together, when we do focus on on godly reconciliation, and the Bible, uh, you know, Ron, I believe it really speaks clearly to these issues. Uh, you know, when you think of Peter, who followed Jesus for th- three years, uh, healed the sick, raised the dead, uh, started you know churches in, in in cities around the world, and then all of a sudden he has this vision of a of a, <clears throat> a, a blank a sheet being laid brought down and there was different, uh, um, um, you know, food items on it that were only the Gentiles ate. And, and Jesus speaks to him and says, you know, take and eat this. In other words, be open to, and he, so, you know, even after having all that spiritual life that he had and relationship with Jesus, he had to learn, uh, to, 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 to love outside of his own Jewish world. And I think for for many of us, and that's part of the reason I wanted to have you on too, is for I think for many of us, even though we're we grew up in the church, we're Christians, like like Peter, we would say we love Jesus. We, uh, but many of us still need, wouldn't you say? Uh, and feel free to disagree with me if you do. Uh, in the church, isn't there still a, a kind of a sheet to be brought down in a vision of, you know, take and eat of other, uh, you know, uh, join in with other cultures? What's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. I agree that, you know, racism is, is a part of the church. If it's a part of humanity, it's a part of the church. That's true. Yeah. Um, that, that we have to confront. And I don't think that um, for the most part that the church has been real comfortable in confronting uh, racism in a healthy way uh, and having a, a healthy conversation about it mm. um, because it's part of what is out there. You asked me what I thought when I saw the peaceful protesters uh, I was I, I relate to them very very much, um, and I was grateful to see them doing something positive. Um, and I don't I didn't see just black people on the street. I see all kinds of people on the street, which is a, a recognition in the broader culture that this is all of our problem. If my if my brother is hurting, I'm hurting too. If my brother is rejoicing, I'm rejoicing with my brother. Um, and so there was a, there's been a recognition that this cuts across. Uh, all uh, cultural lines. As I mentioned, my father was a man of prayer. And even though we grew up in the segregated South and, and he had to deal uh, with, you know, 
trying to get food on the table uh, for his children to eat and basically had to kind of bite his tongue many times, you know, he, he would say, look, my faith is what informs the way that I love and the way that I live. Um, and so he loved everyone in the midst of a very, very difficult place. I watched him walk out his faith and love people. We lived in a very black and white world. There were not very many Hispanics that lived in the part of Florida that I lived in when we grew up. It was basically black people and white people. That was the reality of our world. But I saw my father uh, go and take care of people, of, of white people, loving them, praying for them, um, doing anything he could to help compassion flowing out of him, love, bowels of mercy flowing out of him. And I asked him, I said, I said, how do you do that? As a child, as I watched that, he said, it's because I know that God has forgiven me of my sin. I know that God's grace and mercy has filled me. Who am I to withhold that from any other person on the planet? Mm. He said, yeah, they may call me names, may disregard me. They may see me as less than them, and I'm not equal to them. He said, I understand that. That's where people are stuck. But he said, but the Bible tells us, and the word of God compels me to love my fellow man. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm watching from his generation to my generation, and I, I was marveling at his ability to transcend the brokenness, the anger, the frustration, uh, uh, and, and not be vengeful, but to be filled with the love of God. Anybody who met him said, your, your dad is just a loving person. Uh, and even though they may laugh at him behind his back and talk about him, he would reach out and he would ask, you know, oh, um, you know, Mr. So-and-so, uh, how, how's your son? I heard he was sick the other day. I want you to know I was on my knees praying for him. Mm. And my dad wasn't just saying that. When he prayed, he prayed out loud and he called people's names out. <laughs> we could hear him in the house. Yeah. And he he really prayed for everyone. And he did not allow the difficulty of what was around him to stop his faith from being active and real. And so I believe that I inherited that from him and I have my own relationship with God. And that's the way I live too. So even though I experience these things in my life, I don't let, I don't let that inform how I respond to the Holy Spirit and how I respond to the word of God and how I respond to my mission, which is to preach the gospel uh, and to train people uh, to, to understand his word uh, and, and also uh, to, to represent and be an authentic spokesman as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. I have a higher calling uh, and a higher authority uh, to, to answer to. And when God calls us and, and, and he anoints us and he places us in the ministry, he expects us to be faithful. Mm -hmm. And so we put our hands to the plow. We have to be faithful to the word of God and have fidelity to the revealed truth. Uh, that is the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Amen. Wow. Powerful, man. I'm loving hearing what you say. You know, I was, as you were saying that about your father and what you've inherited from him, uh, that love and uh, love and taking the form of praying for people, even those who persecute you, um, you know, that that is profound. I've heard it said it's it's uh, impossible to hate someone you're praying for on a regular basis, uh, that, that, that you can you can uh, trust them in God's hands. And, you know, another area of trust, I think, too, in, in God in times of trouble like this, whether it be the, the pandemic or um, the, the difficulties that we're seeing now in our nation, 
uh, in, in the protests and, in the, and as, even in the riots that are taking place. Uh, you know, the fact that I was listening, this is really strange, it's going to seem like I'm off topic here, but I was listening to this old sermon, you probably heard it before, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. Uh, it's, it's, people say it's probably the um, most powerful sermon ever preached uh, in our nation for sure, but maybe maybe even in the world. And um, interesting, yeah. there, he's talking about sinners, and he was saying they're, they're like on ice. They're walking on ice, slippery. And he used uh, three different passages of Scripture that talk about the slipperiness of living in sin. And so we, we love our enemies, and we love those who persecute us. But the good news is that the church is not silent on justice either. And, and I think that's f- phenomenal. You know, when my dad first started uh, Teen Challenge, uh, he, he was told, you know, the, the church really doesn't have much to say about or the Christ doesn't have to say about addictions and helping drug addicts and gang members. Uh, but, but uh, you know, he understood uh, the, the fullness of the gospel does include um, the power of love and the power of forgiveness, but it also includes uh, justice and truth and honesty. And so, you know, I was thinking of the when I was listening to Edwards talk there you know the, 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 there there is some I, I would imagine there is some solace in the fact that these people whether it be a policeman or uh, you know someone uh, you know someone uh, causing harm in, in a riotous form uh, you know these people we love them and pray for them but they're also when it comes to justice they're they're on us they're, they're on ice man they, and at any time God in his in, in, in his judgment could bring them down. They're, you know, they're, God is, one day we know in the future he's going to end all this. There, there'll be no more crime. There'll be no more racism. There'll be no more drug addiction. Uh, there'll be no more divorce. There'll be no more hatred. Uh, but until that time, Christ is offering a, a world of love and grace and forgiveness. But he's also saying to us in the Bible very clearly that there is, he is a just God. And we've been studying here at World Challenge and on our podcast, The Attributes of God, and, and I find that the love of God is much more profound and the mercy of God is much more profound and powerful when we understand the wrath of God and the judgment of God and the justice of God, that, that he is a just God and he is uh, without repentance and turning to God. He's going to bring down all of these who are living in this folly and living in this violence and living in this racial hatred and living in this unforgiveness. And, and so you know, I take mm-hmm. solace in and I love the message you're sharing about love. That's the core of the gospel message. But I'm glad that God has clearly attached this sense of, of justice so that we don't have to take it into our own hands. We can protest. We can march. We can uh, believe in the rights that God has given us because we're all created in God's image. And yet at the same time, there's something deeper going on that God, we have a God who knows what he's doing and knows how to, to lift up and exalt those who are humble and he knows how to bring down those who are walking in pride and arrogance, whether they be, a, um, you know, a, a revolutionary on the on the streets or a, a, a crooked police officer. He he knows how to bring justice uh, to that. And our, our our call is not the vengeance part of that. Our our, our call is the is the, the 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 love part of that that you're talking about. Uh, but I just thought that was that's for me that's good news that that. Uh, that God's got His hand on this thing, and He's and He's looking out for us. And I, I know that's that's what you do. You you just keep preaching preaching Jesus. This this has not, you know, for me. Even though we're talking about this issue, it hasn't changed. I don't think it, for you either has it. It hasn't changed. We we simply believe that Jesus is the answer. Yeah, you 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 put a problem on the headline news, and you and I are going to be like, you know. Uh, 
like a, you know, pull the string and we tell the same story. It's, it, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope. Uh, Jesus is the healer. Yeah. Jesus is the solution. Jesus brings abundant life. Uh, Jesus builds true community. Jesus, and um, you know, uh, and we need that. We need we need now to uh, not back off the the preaching of the gospel. And again, like I said when we started this episode, uh, you know, Paul just ran to the ran to the riot so that he could preach the gospel because he knew that's what transforms hatred, transforms uh, lives, transforms communities. And, and I, I want to encourage you to, man, Ron, just keep, keep preaching the gospel like you're doing. And, but I, but I'm, I'm also thankful that you can share your story in a very unique way, in a way that I can't, uh, because I didn't grow up in that Southern situation like you did. And I didn't grow up in a home where, you know, an African-American home where the whites around me were, uh, almost like I said, running, running, running over, trying to kill you. Uh, that's uh, that, you, know, you face some tragic things. So, uh, so I'm grateful that you can tell the story, um, and today that you've you've shared that story. Uh, lastly, what would you say? Could you give us any advice in just sort of how to navigate this? Um, you've talked about love, prayer. Uh, anything else that you might could add in conclusion there? That 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 may, particularly for we as Christians, um, I, I guess the question I've been asking myself, you know, how do we live? Uh, in situations like this, you know, I was I was reading from uh, I think it's First uh, uh, Peter there that that talks about that. You know, see, knowing that all these things are going to uh, eventually you know come to an end. Uh, he he uses the word be set ablaze. Uh, how should we then live? And then he talks about being circumspect and and holy and righteous and and uh, and so so those are some things. You know, that that question is really important to me. How uh, uh, how, how should we how should we live in in times like this? What, what, what would you say about the, about that? Well, you know, uh, Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So to do justice does not mean to deny the issue or to deny the problem. And so I think having a conversation, um, people really not being afraid to approach of the situation and have a conversation about what is going on in the world. Um, it is not racist to talk about racism. And, and I think sometimes people kind of believe that if you bring these issues up, that somehow you're bringing division. I really believe that the only way that you can get to the foundation of truth so that there can really be justice and real mercy is you have to understand where people are. And so I would encourage people to just keep having the conversation. Don't be afraid to talk about these issues. So they are at the forefront. They're really bursting uh, on the scene right now. But I believe the church should be a leader in this. Mm. We should not be silent, but we should speak about these things and frame them in the context of the gospel. I totally agree with you. I mean, you, 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 you push me into a corner, I'm going to come out talking about Jesus. Okay? <laughs> you flex my back against the wall, it's going to be Jesus, the first thing that come out of my mouth, because that's who I am, that's whose I am, and that's who I belong to. Um, but, but it's okay for us to have the conversation about these issues. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Yeah. I think sometimes we believe um, and we practice being peacekeepers rather than peacemakers. Mm. Um, what a peacekeeper does is just draw a line and say, okay, you stay over here, you wow. stay over here. Um, and if there's an issue, uh, I'll, I, I have this weapon here that we're going to make sure that you stay on your side. Peacemakers, they wade out into the difficult, thorny issues 
Um, and, and they put some effort, some intentionality, some energy in defining solutions so that the walls and barriers and petitions that separate us as brothers and sisters in Christ are brought down uh, and taken away. Jesus has already brought the middle wall of petition down between us uh, and God. And he's also brought the middle wall of petition down between men because he's the Prince of Peace and he has commissioned us to be peacemakers. Mm -hmm. And so I really believe that this is an opportunity for the church to stand up and be peacemakers like never before. Um, and not allow the enemy to hijack um, the biblical perspective of what God has called for us to do and to be and to represent uh, in the world today. Yeah, powerful, man. I knew I was supposed to talk to you today, and uh, I can see why now. The Just the, the Spirit of uh, Holy Spirit is just coming through in what you're saying. Um, some of my friends, uh, uh, you know, both black and white, have talked to me the last couple of days about being— uh, a bit troubled by this, kind of uh, emotionally troubled or uh, fear. Which, the word fear didn't come up. It was more like anguish or angst. Um, would you mind just uh, uh, praying for uh, those who might be listening and their families? Uh, would you mind, Ron, praying for them that uh, that the Spirit of God would use the, the thoughts that uh, the Holy Spirit expressed through you today to not only comfort them but just uh, help give them some direction in, in processing this? Would you mind praying? Absolutely. I'd be glad to. Father, thank you for your love and for your grace. Lord, your servant Gary and I sit here today as two people who are most grateful for your sacrifice on the cross. It is through the sacrifice, through your blood, that we have been redeemed. We've been brought back from the slave market of sin, and we've been placed into righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, which is your kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Lord, as we are servants in your kingdom, Lord, we stand together and we pray for those who are troubled by what is going on in our world today. Uh, Jesus, you said that troubled times will come to the earth, but we are to be strong, be of good cheer, be courageous, because you overcame and we can overcome, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so I pray for uh, our brothers and sisters and all of those who are struggling today, who are feeling maybe fear or anxiety concerning these times. Lord, that the peace of God will settle into their hearts and their minds, and Lord, they will begin to get a vision and not just be burdened by what they see, but move from having a burden to having a vision for how they can be a reconciler in their own sphere of influence. God, we will not be overwhelmed and overcome because you have overcome, and we can overcome that by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And Lord, let our testimony be this that we are sons of the kingdom and we belong to Jesus Christ. And when we stand, Lord, let the love of God, let the peace of God, let the faith of God emanate through our words and through our actions so that we will stand and be lights in the midst of the darkness that is around us. And we can see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, God of all comfort, comfort, each one of us, yeah. in your love and in your grace, in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 Ron, thank you so much for your time today and your insight. I love you, my brother, and uh, let's continue to stay in touch, praying for one another, and uh, keep up the great work there, all right? 
Okay, thank you so much, Gary. God bless you. God bless you too. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Thank you for joining us on the Gary Wilson Podcast. Hope this uh, special edition has been a, a blessing to you, encouragement to you. If you have any uh, questions or comments, please feel free to write that in the comment section or contact us at uh, worldchallenge.org. Also, we have a place uh, for you to call if you need some prayer. It's at pray.worldchallenge.org. You can go online, and there's a phone number there as well, and you can call. I uh, would love for you to subscribe to this podcast and also send it out to some of your friends so they might could uh, get some of these insights of the particular issues. We will continue our uh, series uh, real soon here back on the attributes of God. Uh, I believe as we know the attributes of God, as I've talked about today in this episode, the justice of God, we can help understand um, we, we don't have to, to come up with a whole new theology. Every time something difficult happens, we can have a, a substantial understanding deep in our heart already uh, and be prepared for these things rather than be caught off guard and then know how we should live in times uh, such as these. Let's be praying for one another and praying for our nation as well. God bless you. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.